We are live. We are live as of right now. Episode six. It is episode six. I'm Easton. I'm Cole. And this is JK Moto. And we're here to talk about motorcycles today with a very special guest, which I think we can we can probably release the name now. Well, I would hope so at this point in the game. <laughs> yeah. Uh Ken Hill. Ken Hill, coach, rider coach, driver coach now, I believe. Yep. Yep. Um, and many other talents, which we'll let him kind of talk about and introduce himself once we get him on. So, all right, let's dig in. Episode six. Yesterday, at one point, I was in six. Thanks for being here. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm always excited to get, you know, our message out to, to people and uh, help grow our sport. So always, yeah, always a pleasure. Awesome. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's our goal too, I think. And we also just like talking. So yeah, that's why we're here for the most part. I think we wanted to start, just give you a chance to kind of introduce yourself and, you know, whatever, I guess, advertising, if you want to give for yourself and what you do. So. A lot of people may or may not know, but no, my, my name is Ken Hill and I've been um, coaching in motorsports for a few decades now. And I say motorsports because I, I do a lot of car stuff as well as bike stuff. Bike stuff has always been my, I mean, that's kind of where I got my start mm-hmm. and got started in bikes. It's kind of my bread and butter to, to a degree, but I love cars. Cars are awesome. And it's crazy what the, the bleed over is between both of whether it's, I mean, honestly, whether it's motorcycles, cars or go-karts or, I mean, I've even worked with some people um, uh, at Reno air races, right? So, I mean, it's all Mm -hmm. how you do it is how you do it. I've been in motorsports coaching uh, for about, uh, yeah, for 20 some odd years, been involved in schools or, I mean, this has sort of been my full-time career for, for 20 some odd years, but right involved in involved in the on in the motorcycle world since uh the mid 90s uh but involved really been involved with learning to you know, how how to improve how to get better because I got started very late so getting started late in the sport late as in 30 right so mm-hmm. and of course there were no track days really then there was no you went riding by signing up for new racer school i did new racer school on saturday with racing sunday and it was it was ugly right so and it was sort of a sink or swim environment. I realized that for in getting started late in it, I didn't have a lot of background. And I mean, we can get into what I think, you know, natural talent is, but I didn't, I didn't have that. So I had to really be disciplined on my time learning. And, you know, you got to, I got a job and I got kids and a mortgage. And right. so it's like, how, how do you, how do you get better at something? I mean, you guys know how it is. That's all you do is think about this sport. That's all you do, right? <laughs> yep. And so how do I, how do I create an environment where I can get good in really small blocks of time? So I just okay. started thinking about it and then I ended up going to a school and that helped. Actually, it's like I went to school and I suddenly figured out how little I knew about the sport. Uh, and that sort of opened up this whole mission of improvement and how do I improve and 
And then later on, as I got, as I, as I started doing pretty well in the club scene, um, ended up being, I was, I went to the Freddie Spencer school, ended up being a guest instructor at Freddie Spencer's and a full-time instructor. And I instructed at Freddie's for about seven years. When Freddie's went away, um, Nick Ayanach and I did the, started the Yamaha school. And so I was with the Yamaha school till around 2000 and I guess 17, I think something like that. And then okay. I've kind of branched away from then, uh, from, from, from there to kind of do my own thing. Um, but yeah, I realized that there's, as I got better, people are like, Hey, what is, you know, what is he doing? He's old. He's going quick. What is he doing? And I ended, right. up, ended up doing, you know, my first professional races at age 41 and uh, had an AMA superbike license for three years doing some superbike racing and did pretty well for, for, you know, just a, um, basically a club guy mm-hmm. going pro racing and, it started off to where, okay, this guy's doing well. People want me to help him. And I really didn't want to get a real job again. So <laughs> I still, to this day, you know, it's one of those deals you work 80 hours a week to not work 40, Right. but I'm super blessed to get paid uh, to ride motorcycles and drive cars. So it's, it's not, a, it's not a, it's not a bad gig. And yeah, but more, you know, but more to it than that is I've, you know, behind the scenes, I've spent a lot of time thinking about the sport and I've, I've really tried to go, not, not only go, you know, 10 miles wide, but 10 miles deep and okay. try to try to figure the sport out. So I've done a lot of writing. Um, obviously you guys know the podcast as well. So you guys get a glimpse of, of kind of how I think and uh, <laughs> how I, how I look at the sport. And luckily enough, I've been able to train riders at a pretty high level too. I have I now have 144 uh, Moto America podiums since 2015. Hey, there we go. I have a new one this year. So okay. one of my instructors got on the podium at Daytona and Super Hooligan. So oh, really? Yeah. So it's not, and I, I only bring that point up because it's you know you have to understand that we're doing we want to do what the best in the world are doing. And you know, we, we want to figure that out because if there's a better way that they could do it, it's important to train at that level and constantly evolve at that level. Because what we look at is what the best in the world are doing, it's not fixed. It's constantly improving. Right. So if you look at like when Mark Marquez came to MotoGP or when Top Rack came to World Superbike, right? Or Bobier came into um, Moto America, things mm-hmm. had to change. So that's why we talk about when we emulate what the best in the world are doing. It's because it's it's a con- it's it's a never ending. It's constant involvement, and those are the things that we're we're always studying. And I'm lucky. I've got a great peer group that helps me with that. And trust me, I have my points of reference as well. I get the more, <laughs> the more I, it's like I said, it's like the more I think I know about the sport, the less that I know about the sport. So, right. Yeah. Anyway, there's kind of a, a, a haphazard. Uh, <laughs> well, thank you. Well, let me, let me dig in on the, on the age thing for a minute, if I could uh, go so, for it. So you said you started late. Obviously they say, if you're not you know, winning championships by 15, you might as well quit. That's some people's opinion. I just got my NRC license this past weekend, actually, and I'm 46. Awesome. Freaking awesome. I I mean, congratulations. That's, that's, that's badass. I I think there's a lot of miscommunication about that. It actually starts with what is wrong with, what's wrong with motorsports is motorsports in general, whether it's car racing or, or bikes, it has this, identity of like being something heroic or dangerous or thrill seeking, you know, this crazy lifestyle, like I'm going to go, hope I don't, hope I come back, you know, Monday. Right. I mean, right. <laughs> and when you really look at it and, and, and so it's sort of treated that way, 
But when you really look at it, and this is what I, you know, I, I was a, a competitive cyclist at a young age and I still bicycle a lot. And I realized that, well, wait a minute, this is a sport. <laughs> this is a sport like any other sport. Mm-hmm. So if it's a sport, that means you can train for it. And again, if you get into elements of what makes up a sport, what makes up an athlete, all you simply do is, is train like an athlete for that sport and you're going to do well. So in my, in my case, you know, here I am in my, you know, in my thirties trying to figure it out and I would go to the track, I'd work on braking or I'd work on setup or I'd work on whatever on the weekends when I was training, I had, I literally had an hour on a Saturday and an hour on Sunday to, to train because, you know, kids and whatever. And I, I would dedicate that hour to either physical fitness or, or technique training. And so I was just, I was very regimented about it, but that's, that's how you get good. But to your point, yeah, I, it doesn't matter your age. It's a sport and there's, there's fundamentals, then you can train period. Even going back to like, yeah, I mean, the kids that started young, of course they've got, you know, they have a lot of, I don't want to say talent, but it's like they have experience and they have experience really with feel and what we call feel references. They just have a lot of feel. They have, you know, they just have a lot of reps. Like for instance, I'll, I'll tell you a funny story. We were at Chuckwalla and we were doing some like turn track, dirt track stuff. And we're like little XR 100s and JD Beach was there. And we had a couple of very fast uh, local club guys there that hadn't done any like mini bike stuff. Okay. And so they're there with JD Beach. They're getting punched in the face. I mean, of course, I mean, JD Beach is a you know professional dirt tracker. Obviously he's won Moto America Champions. He won the super prestigio, right? I mean, right, right. So these guys are like upset that they can't keep up with JD Beach in one, you know, in an hour. Right. And so it's like, JD, come here. And so I said, JD, how old are you? And at that time, I think he was, I don't know, 25 or whatever, 25. I said, how long have you been dirt tracking? And he goes, uh, 22 years. And it's, it's like, you're, you're, you know, you're trying to do something in an hour that this guy has been doing for 22 years. So, you're, yeah, right. you know, so, you know, the point is, is that you putting your time in and putting your reps in, you just, you have to do it. So regardless of your age, if you're, if you have methodology and you have discipline, you can, I think you can go as far as you, as far as you want. What I was amazed about is this other guy, my partner, Easton here, he he's the one that got me to go to the track first. I don't know if you remember, it's been been three years ago now, but he he talked me into going up there to the ridge track time. Yep. I actually not to talk about myself too much here, but I actually bought a Ducati Supersport in Connecticut and I drove it across the country back to Utah, loaded it in a trailer, and drove up to do my first ever track day. And I'm a guy who grew up on motorcycles. I didn't just find motorcycles. I I grew up on them. Um, Harleys, you know, street bikes, cruiser type bikes, mostly dirt bikes, things like that. But I was blown away. The biggest thing to me was, of course, I can ride a motorcycle. I've been riding them my whole life. I think one of your coaches followed me around on the second session and he pulled me aside and he told me to put my heel into the bike so that my knee could actually fall. And as silly as that sounds, I was holding my feet parallel. Yeah, to the, to the pegs and trying to roll my knee out. He did. He did say some other stuff. Also, I gave you. I don't know if you remember that comment or not. You, he asked you if you had motorcycle experience. And you're like, oh yeah, you know, I ride Harleys. He's like, oh, I can tell. 
<laughs> okay but it, it was just crazy to me that was one of the most enlightening moments is how much you don't know you think you've been doing something forever and i didn't know anything interesting it, it it's like the deeper i get in the sport um you know the more that i uncover as well like i mean i was at road atlanta for the first moto america race we were having a, a problem that I hadn't come across with, with what my writer was asking about the bike. And I like, I it's like, how am I going to fix this is a very odd situation. Yeah. And so, I mean, I, again, I have, I have people, I have points of reference, right? It's not like I know everything. I, I, I have people I have to talk to. And so I ended up talking to him and yeah, he showed me something that I didn't know. And I, I, it was staring me at the face. I never would have seen it. And it's the same thing, right? So yeah, the deeper you go, the the more the, the less you know. But that's that's what the cool thing is about this sport is it's so hard, but yet it's so rewarding. Um, yeah, I mean, it's just there's nothing there's nothing else that replaces what we do. Yeah, I think I think a lot of it's that that adrenaline in the beginning is how fast you can improve, improve, and that's true with a lot of sports. But how fast you just improve it makes you hungry yeah i think the difference with and, and even the trust me I, I mean i do a lot of car stuff i mean the way that i explain it is cars are actually i mean cars are are fun i mean they're really fun but bikes are i mean exponentially more rewarding honestly it's because of the consequences right it's the risk you know going around a track in a car is great but going around a track on a bike is i mean I have, again, people then that are in my, I don't know, my peer group or my reference group. These are all people outside of motorcycles and all they, they trust me, they do things really well in their, in their world. All they want to do is ride bikes. And it's it may be because there's very few things that have all the attributes of a sport with the consequences and, you know, when you look at sports in general, the way I just kind of look at it, right, which is sports have three elements, right? It's the, it's the physical element, of course. It's the mental element. But there's also the mechanical element. Right. And motorcycling has all three of those, but it also has the risk. I mean, because you can look at, like, for instance, cars. I mean, cars are very mechanical, very mental. They're not, I mean, they're not, No, yeah, at a Formula 1, Formula 3000 level, yeah, of course, they're going to be pretty physical, but not. They're not like motorcycles. Right. And yet they just don't have the consequences. So that's why our sport is so hard and so intoxicating. And to your point, like when you get it right, it's, yeah, it is amazing. So as far as the, the consequences, I guess, just to kind of bring in some of the viewers that maybe haven't been to the track or definitely don't race. What are the, from your aspect, what are the rewards for your classic weekend kind of, you know, Canyon Carver? How much reward and, and what type of rewards do I get if I start coming to the track or maybe even start racing? There's a couple things there. One, uh, and there's actually a lot to unpack there. So one, you're riding motorcycles nowadays are the most incredible things in the world. I, I mean, they're <laughs> so fast and so capable and so sophisticated. You can go to a showroom floor. I mean, I mean, even when you think about what a Ninja 400 can do and what a, even a, a, like a stockish Ninja 400 versus even a car, I mean, it takes a car, I don't know what you could, you could do depending on the track and all that. 
I mean, how much car you have to have for the performance of a Ninja 400? Right. How much, I mean, how much capability? And then you can take it up to BMW 1000 or R1 or whatever and look at what their performance capability is. So one, you get to actually ride bikes at a level for what most of them were designed for. And even, even if I'm riding an upright bike, if it's a street triple or an FC1, they're still insanely fast. So true. Been passed it, by so a lot of them. One, one, you get the opportunity to ride your bike in an environment that it was designed for, and there's no speed limits, there's control limits, of course. But I think that's one of the biggest, that's one of the biggest factors. I think another one is to look at is that, yeah, I mean, obviously there's some, there's, I hope that there's some self uh, preservation that goes along <laughs> and it's being able to embrace a process of getting good and riding, you know, a 400 pound or whatever, 400 pound motorcycle around the track, doing things that you and the motorcycle should not be doing <laughs> and having a process which helps mitigate risks. So in other words, I mean, if you're going to the Ridge with no chicane, I think I've, whatever my GSX-R1000 has done like 174 miles an hour up the front straight at the Ridge. Well, so how do I slow from 174 miles an hour in less than X, you know, a, a second or two down to 45 miles an hour while navigating turn one and turn two. Right. So those, if you understand that you can have build a process for that, and you embrace a process and you embrace those things, it's incredibly rewarding to do. And you just, I mean, you just want to do it time and time and time again. And as you guys know, it's all, it's all you think about. So (laughs) I think that I think enough, you have a track bike and a trailer and then you just, yeah, all the way down the line. Yeah. And then we'll, we'll talk, we should talk about some of the costs that go along with that. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's intoxicating how fast the bikes are, but how capable they are and how, you can literally become, you know, one with the bike as a cliche as that is, but it's true, right? I mean, you guys know that you've had a great session and you're just like, oh my God, I just, you know, everything flowed so well. I, I can't, you know, I can't believe that I just, I just did that. And yeah, there's very few, very few things in the world that allow you to, to be able to do that. So I think there's that. I also think it's the opportunity to hang out with like-minded people doing something really dangerous and you guys know, right, that the, com- the camaraderie at the track is unparalleled in almost anything, just because it's, you know, you're around people that are doing something very, very dangerous. And, you know, everybody wants to kind of like battle it up and brag about lap times and, you know, have scrape, you know, you know, scraping their knee and doing all those cool things. And it's, it's an experience very few people, well, it's very, it's an experience very, very few people um, do but yet very few people can do. And again, there's just nothing as, there's just nothing as, as rewarding as it for, for sure. So, yeah, I mean, I think for the people that are out there that want to, that want to start riding track is it is incredibly intoxicating and it's actually, in my opinion, a much more safer environment than, than the street. Um, here you're doing, you know, a lap every X amount of minutes same lap, you get to repeat corners, you get used to them, try different things. You've got medical there. You've got people all going the same direction, literally the mm-hmm. same direction. Right. And, you know, you don't have to worry about things. And it's a great place to, you know, to test, um, to test out what your bike is like and, and also to, to improve. So. Okay. I think that brings me into, into another question. When you go, you know, as a, as a standard person to buy a bike, you want the biggest and the fastest generally. And you kind of already touched on this, but 
I guess in your opinion, which is more fun? Now, I know that can vary from racetrack to racetrack. Well, let me, yeah. So, okay, let me tell, I mean, I, I need, I, I'll answer that, of course, but um, let me, let me answer it a little bit of a different way. Okay. Bikes are so fast nowadays that like for me to ride, I, I just sold my GSX-R1000. I had a really nice GSX-R1000. I just didn't ride it very much. Mm-hmm. And for me to ride that bike and be engaged and ride it the way that I want to ride it, it's no joke. You've got to have your crap together. There's just, that's all there is to it. And for me to ride that bike at pace, meaning for me to go at the pace that I want to go at, you know, chasing a lap time, it, it takes up all of your brain space, especially on some of the tracks that, you know, very short tracks or even some of the high speed tracks. Mm-hmm. It takes all of your brain space. It takes all of my brain space to do that. And I have a few years of training under my belt. <laughs> Just right. you. So one of the things that I find that we end up doing for people that are buying new bikes and they of course go and buy the biggest, fastest bike. And they say, I'm going to buy a bike with electronics because it's going to save me is the bikes are so fast that they, they spend all of their time basically freaked out over the speed and they're not able one, they don't utilize the bike properly. And two, they can't get over the sense of speed that the bike has. So it stunts their training. I take more people off thousands and put them on smaller bikes if they really want to get good in this world. I mean, to ride a thousand at the limit, I mean, I can't do it. Very few people can, can do it. Right. And if you, if you, how are you going to try to ride that bike at the limit? If you haven't mastered riding, say a 400 at the limit, it, it, wow. you don't understand what feel is and, or, or you know, you just, you don't have the time to, to be able to do, to, to figure those things out. So the way that I think about it is buy a bike that doesn't overwhelm your brain and buy a bike where you're not going to get lost, lost in the speed. And there's so many great bikes. There's so, I mean, so many great bikes out there, whether it's a, um, Ninja 400, which I'm a huge fan of. You can't have fun on Ninja 400. There's, I think there's something wrong with you, but (laughs) I just think they're a great training tool. We use them. Um, I think even, you know, a standard 600 is great. The, you know, the naked bikes that are coming out now, right. The street triples, the V2s, you know, bikes, bikes like that are, are fantastic. And they're just a great opportunity. Is it, is a new V4S, or, you know, an RSV amazing, you bet they are. And the first time you take one up the straightaway, you'd be like, oh my God, this is the most incredible thing in the world. But yeah. it also is, it also is mentally very, very draining. So I don't know my, my thought is, I mean, if you want the thousand, yeah, I mean, go get it. They're awesome. But don't expect your learning curve to be as sharp or as long and I'll, I'll, I'll touch on that as long as it is on a smaller bike, because it's so easy to get frustrated on a big bike. Trust me. I look at a lot of data and like mid pack club racers, even mid pack club racers to mid pack track day guys. I mean, I can look at data and they'll go around, say the Ridge or Thunder Hill, and they might touch hundred percent throttle once or never. Yeah. Maybe, maybe on the straight. Maybe. Yep. And it, it, again, because the bikes are so fast. So getting something that you can ride at 
if you want to stay, if you want to get good at riding, ride something that allows your brain to be caught up with it. So a 400 or 600 or something that doesn't overwhelm, uh, doesn't overwhelm your brain. Okay. Did you hear that, Easton? Hmm. He just, he just gave me permission to buy another bike. <laughs> exactly. I'm not uh, saying a thousand is not fun. Trust me. I think a thousand is fun. Don't get me wrong. So there's nothing, there's nothing like it. But as far as training, it, it, it it's really difficult. Yeah. I, I think I agree with that. I, I mean, I have an RSV4 1100. We talked to a, a couple of weeks when we were talking, we talked about that a little bit. Uh, I think I have, you know, the, the respect level I have for it is extremely high. And I understand that I'm never going to probably never going to unlock its full potential. And it's fun. <laughs> so. Oh, I, that's what I'm saying. I mean, as long as you understand, like, it's very difficult to, like I said, do, you can train on it for sure. But, you know, compared to a 400 or a 600, you're, it's going to take longer for the same result, typically, just because your brain is so overwhelmed with the speed. Right. So I'm going to take this somewhere weird, maybe you, uh, so I have a BMW S 1000. Um, that's the, the bike I tend to ride the most of the track. Um, I have had the opportunity to turn laps on four hundreds and absolutely agree with everything you said fully. I understand that. I get it. You know, the old cliche, it's, it's funner to drive a slow bike fast than a fast bike slow. You know, I'm, I'm guilty of a lot of the things you just, you just mentioned. Have you ever had, you know, I know you've owned a lot of bikes over the years, a lot, a lot of bikes. Have you ever had just a love affair with a bike? Let me put it this way. We talked about the danger at the track. I've owned a lot, a lot of bikes, but there's something special about that bike because we've spent death def defying experiences together. I, yeah. I mean, I've, I regret selling a bunch of bikes. I mean, they would have been all my, some of my old race bikes were, I mean, I've had a handful of probably not even a handful, maybe three bikes that I literally could do no wrong on. They were just magic bikes that for how, whatever reason they worked really, really well for me. And yeah, I, re I totally re regret uh, selling some of those for sure. But yeah, the there's just so many good bikes out there yeah. and they keep getting better. I mean, it's like, I don't know, the, I did a, I know it's, it's been over a year, but I did the last little bike shootout that I did. It was all this naked bike hype, this thousand CC naked bike thing. And it's like, you could have given me any one of those bikes and I would have been happy. It's like, they all had some characteristic that have been that. Yeah. I'll take, I'll take that one. I, I, they're just all good. So yeah, it's tough. I mean, for sure. Like my G6R 1000 was also a very, very special bike. And it had a lot of not necessarily cool things, but it was put together. Well, it did. I could go any, any track and it, it was, I barely had to change the setup at any track. It was just one of those bikes that go to the Ridge. It's fast. Go to Nelson Legends in Ohio. It's fast. Go to Pitt Raceway. It's fast. Go to Jennings. It's fast. It's just, it worked great everywhere. Um, but then again, it's, I, I got to the point of that particular bike where it wasn't fun for me to ride because if I wasn't in the brain space to haul ass on it, it wasn't fun. So if I only got to jump on it for say one session, I'd actually be pissed off because it would take me a good session to get my brain up to the speed of the bike. And I, it was, it was basically a lap time bike for me. And right. if I wasn't in a position to do the lap time, I'd be pissed off. So right. it's like, okay, I'm just going to remove that from the equation and I'll continue to ride bikes that are a joy, a joy to ride. Well, 
plus when you're out there on one, you're just asking for punishment because all the 600 guys, they live off of passing you. <laughs> <laughs> yes, they do. Yes, they do. So along with favorite bike, do you have possibly a favorite track? That's a tough one because I can literally take four pylons and throw them out in the street and make a track, right? So, and I can right. have fun doing it. I have, <laughs> if there's a, a starting line and a finishing, a finish line, I'm good. Like, let's, let's get after it. No problem. That said, yeah, I mean, there's, I would say it's probably Road America. I think Road America is probably the number one track that I just look forward to one going there, but also, you know, being on, I think, yeah, Road America is something really, really special. It's just old school, badass, just, I mean, it's just iconic motorsports and the history that's, that's been there is, is incredible. You know, that said, there's, there's just so many, there's so many tracks that are fun to ride that also have history. I mean, the Ridge is obviously amazing. Sonoma, when Sonoma's pavement is good, hint, pave <laughs> Sonoma, please, is amazing. Yeah, um, Laguna, Laguna, right? I mean, Laguna, Laguna is not necessarily one of my like top five favorites, but Laguna is the same thing. The history that's at a track like that is amazing. And then there's just a bunch of all, you know, other fun tracks that I really enjoy that have their own little characteristics. What do you think of UMC and were you there in April? No, no, I haven't been to UMC since 2000 and and end of 2019. And I mean, I spent a lot of time at UMC. I have a lot of laps at UMC. And I mean, we started at UMC, I think in 2006. When it was was still Miller. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, no. I was back with the Miller group and I was lucky enough to meet Larry Miller a few times. And, you know, we were, we were kind of involved with that. I love that track. I mean, I think they did a great job with it. What Larry Miller's vision was and why he built it was something very, very special. And, and, you know, unfortunately it went the way that it did. Um, But the track is amazing. That's another one of those, those deals where it didn't matter the configuration. It was great. The outer loop though, was something very special. And to be able to run the outer loop was obviously fantastic. And it flowed. I mean, it had a proper like European flow to it. Right. um, That not a lot of tracks here have. Uh, grip was always good. Of course, it started to get a little bit bumpy and it's in kind of disrepair, but um, what a great, what a great, um, yeah, what a great place. If, if I can go there, I don't know. This isn't, this doesn't really follow the coaching, but UMC is my home track, if you will. Spend a lot of time there. I'd be lying if I didn't say there was some weeds growing out of the track that I was dodging last weekend, unfortunately. But you talked about the different configurations. So generally the club races there, they alternate between the East and the West. Yeah. I guess we're all on West now, huh? Yeah. And so the East track, I was a little let down this week because, so I personally like the East better than the West. My understanding is they need to replace some air fence and the track's unwilling to do it. Uh, When I was there, I asked what I could do to help. And the answer was have more money than brains. (laughs) And I, I didn't like that answer. I get, I get the joke. I get it, but they don't know me and I might have whatever an air fence costs in my wallet, but I may be a person with means. I can go find some people to sponsor that. I can go, you know, and, and I I think they could tell I was, I didn't like the answer. And so one of them just said, Hey, get all your friends to come to the track and, you know, do track days and, and that'll help. And I didn't say anything, but I thought about it and I said, no, it won't because 
the track day company is going to make their money by people coming, but they're not buying the air fans. Yeah. So, I mean, the way to do that is exactly, I mean, it's sort of along the, the long, along the lines of what, what you're talking about is, 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 you know, write an email, go knock on their door and say, Hey, look, we want to run East, you know, so why aren't we running East? We're not running East because we need air fence here. Okay, great. Um, you don't have air fence. What's it going to cost for us to put air fence there? And can we supply our own air fence? Right. And, you know, I know, I know the track had some air fence. I'm sure it's not in great shape by this point, but I mean, you can look at, you can look at talking to, you know, the road racing world fund and see what it's going to cost to purchase air fence or, some sort of substitute. And I'm sure you can, you know, you can work on a fundraiser, you can work on something that will help that out. There's a lot of people with means in that area that want to run that track and keep it going as for as long as possible, because it's freaking amazing, you know, but until somebody gets organized one, you know, finding out, okay, what, you know, what's it going to take to get our fence there? You know, what, what, how are we going to supply that and then trying to put organize something for people to be able to do it? Um, and it's tough because we don't, you know, we just don't know how long that track is going to be around. There's all sorts of rumors, but um, yeah, it's a tough one. But I think it's just having a blunt conversation with track management saying, look, if we want to do this from a club or track day perspective and we want to supply ourselves, what do we have to do? Makes sense. So I think I've got some listeners here that maybe don't go to the track. Hopefully after watching a few of our episodes, they <laughs> decide to take our advice. But for those guys, what like if you could give them any words of wisdom, any tips, tricks for, you know, first time going out. And I, I don't want to dive too into the like, this is how you set up your bike or, or anything like that. Just just kind of generalized. I think it's realizing you can have a lot more fun with less than you think. So again, motorcycle, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you're on a bagger, obviously doesn't matter. And your bike literally does not matter. If you want to come to the track and, and have some fun, I don't know of any, I don't think there's any bike that I wouldn't ride around the track. I mean, the pace is irrelevant. Mm -hmm. So it's basically making sure your bike is mechanically sound and you've got good tires. Even the tires that come on a brand new bagger can be ridden around the track at a pretty quick pace, and you'd be surprised at how much grip they have. I've I've done a bunch of work with Harley. I know it because I've, I've you know I've done it. It's just make you know going out there with the right attitude of coming out to the track. I don't need I need to have a safe bike, but I don't need anything crazy, and you can get a feel for it. And yeah, especially if you know again people are coming to the track like UMC. And, you know, you get to experience what I would literally, you know, I can't remember the year. What was it? 2000 and I can't remember. I got to think of the year that it won um, track of the year, right? The world track of the year. I mean, you get to experience what this, this incredible track is like. And so I think for the people that are thinking about it, you don't necessarily have to race to have a really good time on track. Everybody thinks racing sort of the, you know, the, the bee's knees and it's, it's not necessarily it. I mean, I, yes, I've had a lot of really great times on in racing, but the best times that I've had on a bike have not been racing, but have been riding with my friends, you know, riding hard at the same pace and just enjoying riding with my friends. And there's nothing like it. 
And yeah, again, it goes back to what we were saying is being able to ride something and sort of defy, defy, defy some physics with these things. Yeah. It's, it's absolutely, absolutely incredible. Yeah. So for the street people, if you're risking, you know, you're, if you're risking or trying to haul ass on the street, you're, you're asking for trouble and out on the track in this scheme, big scheme of things, it's not that expensive. And yeah, you got to get some gear and, you know, make sure your bike is safe, but you can go out there and have just a wonderful time with, I mean, really not, yeah, really, you know, not um, a crazy setup. So, I mean, we mm-hmm. have people that go, I mean, you guys have seen track time. We have people that ride to the track yeah. day and ride home. So yep. get a backpack with some tape and <laughs> that, I mean, that's, that's literally it. And the track culture is so great that a guy rides up. And they're like, oh my God, you know, you rode here. Yep. What can we do to help you? I mean, everybody's just totally into that because it's, yep. it's, it's pretty badass. All right. If there was, so you're a coach, you've coached many people, bikes, cars now a little bit and whatever else. If there was one, and I, I don't need a name, if you had a, had a pinpoint, like a greatest achievement, maybe when a, a person went and made it you know, a little further or, or won a race or whatever that might be that you know that any specific moment that stands out to you is like that was the one that really just always look back to that it's it's tough because one of the things that i try to do with my coaching is i try to treat everybody as individual as i can there's so many stories that i have i mean i can look back and say okay you know i was coaching jd beach when he won the super prestigio and we actually worked on some methodology for him to go to the super prestigio and here's mm-hmm. a race against basically every badass motorcycle in the world, you know, flat track. And, you know, that's, that's pretty darn cool. Or, you know, his championships or all the Moto America podiums. But I honestly, some of the most rewarding times that I have are with regular people that don't think they can do this and they get really good at it. I would say that trumps a lot of, you know, working with some of the other, the the pro guys, the pro guys is, what the pro guys is, is proof of concept and where the real work is and where the real rewarding work is, is working with people that don't think they can do it or have failed and are going to get out of the sport and you can help guide them to staying in the sport and being really good at it. I mean, there's not necessarily one person because every school or every time, you know, I work with somebody where we hopefully get to some sort of achievement like that. So I think that, yeah, there's not necessarily one, but it's just all the little individual achievements from people. I did an online coaching thing tonight from a guy in Germany. So I'm part of the Blaze online training format. So I got a guy that heard about the Blaze program and then whatever, he looked me up and decided he picked me. And so we did an online coaching session of him driving at Hockenheim. He's been struggling for a couple of years now, and he's slowly going backwards with his pace and he's in a, he's in a he's in a cup series over there, mm-hmm. and by looking at his data, as looking at his videos, we identified three things. And he's just like, I cannot wait to go drive now. He's like, <laughs> this he goes, I didn't know I was doing this. He goes, I didn't know, you know, I didn't know that I was supposed to have the slow point here. I didn't realize that my initial throttle was too abrupt, and I didn't realize that caused me to back off the throttle, and then I was driving forty feet too late. I think it's just a little bit of everybody that people that either think they can't do it anymore or the sport's not for them, or they're not good enough, and giving them a pathway to do it. Right. Long answer for that, but there you <laughs> no, go. No, I like it. appreciate it. With that, and this might be a little more rough, but uh, I had written down just biggest regret. 
if you have any regrets, if there was anywhere you could go back and maybe change direction or something along those lines? You know, I think, and this is just a, you know, one of the, this is like this in life as it is in, in motorcycles, is I think you have to experience a lot of things to figure out what it is you don't want. Mm-hmm. And so, because when you figure out the things you don't want, it makes the things that you do want much more clearer. I don't know. I don't necessarily think I have, I don't think I have any regrets. I think that, you know, everything that I've done has been essentially by myself or with my group of my, my reference group, which I can't, I'm so blessed to have these people in my life. You know, they're not afraid to call me, a, you know, a dumbass or they're, that's not the way you do things or that's not professional. I don't know. I think the only regret is it took me a long time, probably because of my stubbornness and me wanting to try to figure things out on my own, not to rely on some other people and their their viewpoints or their points of reference. And I think, so I think that's one in this, the other, I would say the other regret is, you know, we, we try to teach this now is probably taking feedback a little bit too personal in the beginning and not that, of course, when you do that, that, that blocks, that blocks your ability to actually hear what people are saying. Right. Um, so yeah, I think that as I figured this out and tried to take things from an amateur level to a professional level, I wish I had done a little bit more reading and studying at that time on what those, what those things are. I wouldn't be where I'm at today if I hadn't had all these experiences. And trust me, by no means am I perfect. I make I'm screwing up all the time. It's just I'm trying to learn from that and and make things and make things better. So right. Okay. Makes sense. Well I think we both wanted to ask you. So I I'll just go ahead and put it out. I have a daughter that's uh two years old. And you know I have this dream of well, yeah, I'll go ahead and say it. Yeah, she's gonna be the first woman in MotoGP. Now that's, I set a, a lofty goal because we're still at the very beginning and I can, I guess from your, from your opinion, you know, how young is too young? And then on the other side of that, how old do I need to be to go do a track day? Uh, yeah, that's a, that's, uh, that's a lot of width on that one, but we can certainly talk about it. So I'll use my kids as a little bit of an example. So I have, I have three kids and pretty much in the thick of, you know, motorcycle and motorcycle racing as they, as they were growing up. Mm-hmm. And at that point, actually they owned a dealership as well. And so I owned a dealership as those, as they were, as they were, you know, um, going through the very young age, of course, um, I'm a completely hypocritical dad, right. Which is I'm racing motorcycles professionally and no, I don't want you on a motorcycle. Okay. That's not going to, that's obviously not going to work. So and I've got, I mean, I have video of my middle son, uh, middle child, uh, riding a quad by himself at two years old, a gas powered little 40cc quad. I think it's, yeah, you got to scale it to give them something that they can ride and control. Same thing. I mean, it was tuned, it was tuned to go at a walking pace, you know, basically. So right. it wasn't like he was out ripping around on the thing. And I think that they can get started pretty young. At, it's just, what are you going to do with them at that age? And with our kids, I decided that I put them on four wheels first. And I put them on four wheels because I wanted them to be able to master brakes and throttle and navigating. I mean, we would do trail riding. So they would actually do some mild trail riding with these things like little quads or little motocross tracks, kids tracks on quads. And just getting them to navigate the whole thing. Because I didn't want to put the balance. I didn't want to put the bat that, you know, their, their motor controls are not developed yet. Right. And so I put them on four wheels because it was much easier to have them navigate throttle and brakes and easy steering rather than balance. And then 
when they were able to jump on a bike, it was half a day of wobbling around. And then they were, they already had brakes. They already had throttle. They already had a lot of those things already in their, in their head. Uh, and then they ended up doing, they ended up doing pretty well with it and teaching them drills that they didn't even know were drills, which was literally riding in the backyard. And it'd be like, Hey, I got a great idea. Why don't you like go around this corner and put the brakes on but don't take the brakes off until you get to this cone that I put here. And you, I mean, they don't know. Yeah, and it's just, just a game. Exactly. And so there's a lot of things that you can do with them that start to build skills. Cause you, with teaching kids, they're not going to get the very intricate things. You can't tell them about, you know, the first 5% of motor controls or this and that you just, you, you, it's as simple as don't grab the brakes. Right. You know I mean? They just have a different, a different way of learning. So, I think to your point, I think kids can ride at a fairly young age, but you, you got to keep it fun and you got to keep it. So it's, it's within their means of being able to develop. So I'm a big fan of the quads. And then they kind of went over to two wheels, I think around, I don't know, it was around six or seven. And then older boys, actually all the kids, including my, my daughter did a little bit of motocross racing on, you know, fifties and one tens and all that. And they kind of got out of it. They're like, yeah, okay, we did that. That's fine. None of them ride anymore except my, again, my middle son, he's actually doing car track days with me right now. And he's crazy. He's actually crazy fast for getting into this. So <laughs> that part of it's pretty cool. We'll get him on a motorcycle soon enough. <laughs> and then as far as track days, yeah, I mean, I'm, it, it, a lot of it depends on the environment and depends on, it depends on the kid. So giving a blanket statement to say, oh, you know, all 12 year olds could go on the track or whatever is tough. Because not all 12 year olds are, you know, start at our Kayla Yakov or an Elena right. Myers or, you know, some of these David Cole stats or something like that. They're just not, they don't have that, that upbringing. So I have to look at that as kind of a little bit of a, an individual circumstance, but yeah, I mean, I still think pretty young. Um, we still get a lot of, even at track time, we still get quite a few 15, 16 year olds there. Right. And some of them are even doing their first track days. Just to keep going with that is what does that, uh, you know, what does that look like? Say I have a, I have a, 13 year old son and he's been riding dirt bikes for a while and sees that, Hey, you know, these guys race bikes on the street. Obviously you can't get a driver's license. And so you cannot go ride a sport bike on the street. So what does that process look like to get, you know, to try that out, I guess, to, to see. I got to look at, see, I got to look at, see what our, our track time insurance is. I want to say our track time insurance is 14, but I'm not a hundred percent sure. I need, I, I would have to get a, uh, an answer on that. Yeah. And we, we have done that with multiple kids where their dad does track days and they're saying, Hey, you know what? My boy is 14. He wants to come ride. You know, can he operate a brake and a clutch? And has he ridden? Yep. Ridden a bunch of motocross or, you know, dirt riding. He's really good. Want to get him out there. Great. They ran a Ninja 400 from us. We may even rent them gear because, you know, maybe, maybe they don't want to buy gear. We'll rent them gear. Mm -hmm. And then we'll literally do some basic make sure they can start and stop uh, and have some basics with, you know, making sure they're proficient with the controls. It might even be literally 30 minutes of parking lot drills or making sure that they're okay. And they'll go with an instructor and let the instructor work with them and get them out on track at a very slow pace and start to bring things up a little bit. And yeah, I mean, so that's perfectly doable as well, where, yeah, again, part of the, Part of the mission of track time is having it's, you know, our days are a little bit more expensive, but we try to cater individually to people 
we take less people. So when we have 30 people per group, we've got instruction available at a half day or full day. Or if you want one of my high level trained instructors, we have them there as well. So we've got a whole, or if you just want to come and enjoy riding with less people on track, you can do that too. So we try to make it pretty, pretty open for you. I got a question there. It'll fit there. I actually did get some training from track time on one of the times I was out there. A uh, couple questions. So I've been accused of being a person that doesn't take, you know, what do you call it? Criticism. Well, feedback, feedback, feedback. feedback. <laughs> so I really don't believe that that's true. Easton will argue with you, but see, I can't take my own feedback. So uh, when I went there, one of the, one of the questions I had, you mentioned higher level uh, coaches. How do you request a higher level coach? It's on the website. So on the website, it explains the levels of coaches um, or people can simply email me and I, we've got what I call my master moto pilot in, instructors. And these are guys that have been training with me at high levels for many years. And they're just a little bit, they're, they're a little bit of a higher level of instructor training than our, our base instructors. Our base instructors are, are amazing. And we do off-season training as well. We did a bunch in 2022. Uh, we just started back up with our, our training for 20, yeah, 2022. For 2023, we're already you know doing our instructor training for our tra track days that are starting up this month. But on the website, it explains who they are and what the costs are and whether we have availability or not. Right. And yeah, I mean, it, it really, everybody's a little bit different. And, you know, there's times where if a person, if a person can only handle the first 10 or 20% of the fundamentals, they may not need somebody that can deliver the right. last 1% of the fundamentals. They only need somebody that can do the first 20 or 40%. But the thing about some of the, the higher, uh, the master instructors, they can also work with people that maybe are struggling with communication. Like they need somebody to be able to figure out how they learn. Mm -hmm. And because these people have worked with so many different um, people, our job, you're not supposed to conform to us. We're supposed to conform to you. That's our job. We're not going to say, Hey, you got to do this. You got to do this. It's like how, I mean, what to do versus how to do it, two different things. Right. So it's easy to, you know, say, Hey, you know what, Easton, you should, you should go through turn three faster. And you're like, yeah, yeah, I know I should. Thanks. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. It's the how to do it. It's the how to do it, and it's how to do it for your communication style. That's the trick. Those guys and gals are incredibly well versed. We actually have. It's pretty interesting. I mean, we don't we don't advertise really. We don't have. I mean, we just don't do our thing. But we have a significant amount of people that fly in all over the country to come to our days and rent bikes, and it's mainly because they want that higher speck of individuality that that's hard to get. So back to your point is, yeah, I mean, you know, part of it is making sure that you connect with your instructor and right. you're on the same page of how you, you communicate. I mean, I, I kind of have like five rules when I go to work with somebody or work with like a pro, we have to set some ground rules with how things go. Right. Uh, but one of them is, yeah, you got to be able to accept feedback. And if you can't accept feedback, you're you're, it's basically becomes a roadblock, right? You're never, you're never going to get to the next step. Right. So I have some follow-up questions for that. And I'm not nothing negative about the training day that I had. It rained. It was the great flood of, so that, that made it even harder because you're, you know, maybe you're not leaning the bike. Yeah. Because we're only going 25 miles an hour. So 
<laughs> so so there was some of that but i i just and i think you've answered my question but i was wondering if there was a curriculum because i went into it prepared from the standpoint of like i i've ran the ridge on track days you know at that point four or five times and so i know what my best lap time is if you will and i know you don't like to focus on lap times but i thought that the lap time would be a good reference like sure like this ain't my first time i've ran this and then we still started with the five percent brakes and pushing a bike in the parking lot which was was fine i mean you can't practice that enough i get it but that leads me to my question sometimes the reason i maybe don't take feedback is what you said earlier you're going through a corner and i'm trying to do this i mean i know what's going on in my own mind and I, my question for you is how much can you guys really see either chase follow as everything. far as everything? That's what it I want to know because it just, I mean, I can see what you're doing in three corners and I already, I mean, typically I already know how your full, I know how your day is going to be on your outlap. I have enough reps working with, I don't know, tens of thousands, who knows how many riders right. at this point, but I have that inventory of working with enough people that I already, I can see that. And I think let's, let's back up, back up a point. I think what's missing and it's actually something that we're focusing on this year at, at track time is um, the evaluations. So when I ride with somebody, I typically don't do anything before we ride. And I do that because how do I know that's holding you back? Right. I don't know. You, you know, if you go to the doctor and you say my arm hurts, he just doesn't put it in a cast, right? He's like, well, let's evaluate you and find out what's going on. It's the same thing. Typically, I'll ask, you know, what are your goals? Because how I communicate with you is also based on your goals. Because if you're like, hey, I am racing next Sunday and I want to <laughs> win, that's different than, hey, I want to be in the sport for 20 years and be an instructor. So I will right. change my communication based on what your short-term and long-term goals are. I can't tell you what to work on unless I evaluate you. And then once I see what you're doing, I will literally take you through the fundamentals, the order of the sport, right? Is your bike placement good? How is your, how is your vision and how's your focus? How are your motor controls? How's your brake adjustability? How's your turn and rate? How's your body? That's, I just keep looping those things together. I can't have you work on something if I don't know what's wrong. Right. So to your point, I got to evaluate you. And so that's something that we are working on and, and making sure that, cause there's, again, it's so easy to want to teach you. Like I learn something. I try to learn something every day when I'm on track. That's my goal. I want to learn something new. I learned something at New Jersey this last weekend when we were testing. And it's like, I want to share that with everybody. It's like, I want to tell everybody that might be the 0.01% thing that one person needs. That doesn't mean anything to anybody else because the, the joke is, is, you know, you're worried about body position, but you're breaking 350 feet too early. Right. So it's, if, if we don't know what's holding you back by evaluating you, then I can't, I don't know what to work on yet. So we start with evaluation. Right. Agreed. Um, and, and actually think? to your point is, you know, that, that can also be something where somebody can get defensive if they don't know 
what's wrong and you you might have an inkling of what's wrong and again by having a conversation of what are your goals what's hold, what do you think is holding yourself back right for right. example so i think it's just some basic communication stuff yeah okay. well it was a it was a great day i just i'm i'm curious you know as we we drive around the tracks you control riders coaches that are always there um watching you in the mirror telling you to follow and sometimes i gotta wonder i mean i'm not at that level yet apparently but can you really see how much you know and you you answered that. You said everything. I- Let me put my money where my mouth is. When, for instance, when you're following somebody, you we ride at a very linear pace. So like, let's say you're, you're let's say, and I'm going to make up the lap time. Say you're at the ridge with no chicane doing a 215. I'm just throwing it out there. Which, I mean, you still got to go pretty good. I mean, you got to have some acceleration and braking to, to, to even go that pace. Right. So if you're coming into turn one and let's say you're 10 bike lengths behind that that student, and all of a sudden they go to the brakes and they come right back to you very quickly. We know you've put, you've applied your brakes too quickly. We know that if you're not pointed correctly at the apex and you got to add lean angle after that, we know that that's a direction problem. So, I mean, we know that if you go to the throttle and you squirt away from us, cause we're riding at a very linear pace, we know your initial throttles too abrupt, so on and so forth. We know if we see your inside arm straight as this, we get too much weight on your inside arm. Right. And even in the mirrors is the same thing. I mean, I can see so much people will say, how did you know I didn't, I missed a shift coming out of turn four or whatever. And it's like, well, one, that's my job. And two, because of X, Y, Z. Right. So yeah, even in the mirrors, we can, we see, we see everything. Sweet. I'll, I'll, I'll be more careful then in the future. (laughs) (laughs) While, while we're on that, uh, the test in Jerez was on Monday. And they were testing in helmet communication. Uh, did, I don't know if you've seen that. What do you What do you think about in helmet communication? I've done a, well. In helmet communication for racing or in helmet communication for training. So in 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 MotoGP, they're talking about being able to tell them, "Hey, red flag, oil spill, you know, danger ahead, those kind of things," uh, with pre-recorded messages. But everybody knows where this goes. I think we're starting to get, um, I'm trying to think of the right word. I think we're getting a little too progressive with some of the things that are going on in MotoGP. How's that? Is that, is that PC enough? (laughs) I think we, we agree with you. It's motorcycle racing and, you know, motorcycle racing at the highest level. And one, you know, I, I do think, and yes, I understand we got to have some development rules. I get that, but you know, first of all, I don't want to know who's going to win. So when they line up, I don't want to know who's going to win. That's, right. I mean, I want to see him duke it out. But I also know that in, in you know, motorcycles, yeah, it can, at times, obviously we don't have a cage around us, right? So, I, and I am not also a proponent of rubbing as racing. I don't believe rubbing is racing. But what I do believe is you can have um, very deliberate close passing and close moves. And that's part of our sport. I just think that's just the way it is. Absolutely. And I don't, I don't want to see, I'm not saying that, you know, dangerous moves should, should not be punished, but I think what I would call racing incidents or racing passes or close passes should also not be looked at um, as hard. And trust me, these guys have an insane job because <laughs> the problem is they're trying to do something where there's been no rules. So 
now that they're trying to establish some rules, they got to figure it out. It's not, I, I don't envy the team that's doing that. I know Freddie, Freddie's doing it and I don't envy it because now suddenly everybody's got an opinion and yeah. everybody wants to, to, to do those things. Um, but to answer your question, I guess on the, in the, no, I don't, I'm not a fan of the, the communications. I, I think that should be back to, yeah, back to sort of the old school, the old school way of doing it. So from a MotoGP standpoint, what about for a training? Great question. I've seen people use comms for, between bikes in training and I've used them because I wanted to experiment with them many, many years ago. And I don't believe in them. And the reason I don't believe with them, it's funny because I do believe in them in a car, but I do not believe with them in a bike. And I'll tell you why. It's because you're not sharing the same time and space and you're not sharing the same feel reference. So you don't know what that person's going through in front of you or behind you when you're telling them to do something. In a car, you're sitting right seat and you're sharing the same time and space and the same feel reference. Right. So the communication works there. It doesn't work on a bike. That's my experience. Interesting. I never thought of that, but. Yeah. You know, sense. if you're telling somebody to turn in and maybe their fork is bottomed or they're hitting a bump or right. there's weight on their inside arm or, or, or whatever, and you're trying to judge where they're at in front of you or behind you, you're trying to give them information and you're not in the same time and space. And then you're trying to guesstimate when they're going to arrive at that particular time to do that thing. It's, it's, it doesn't, it, in my opinion, it's very, very difficult to do. If, if they didn't talk for five minutes and then all of a sudden just said something to, it might throw you into you know, the grass. <laughs> what? I, I, that, yes, I have seen that experience as well. Yeah. Well, to keep along with this training, uh, so I, I got to tell a story real quick. We were, we were at Arizona Motorsports Park. And we got down there. Uh, it was actually an open track day, which was kind of interesting. I don't know. I don't remember if we liked that or didn't like it or what our conclusion was on that. But uh, they mentioned a dual cone apex system down there. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. I feel like I recognize that. We went up and talked to them and mentioned the ridge. And they're like, oh, man, you guys have been to the ridge. That's awesome. We love the ridge. We love track time. And yeah, we actually adopted that dual cone apex training system, whatever you want to call it from from track time and from ken hill on the other side of the house i've been to racetracks where there is no reference markers set for you which i understand that when you're racing that's your job to figure out where your reference is going to be but i guess what's your you know for the people that might be listening that are running track days or what's your kind of take on setting those up i mean i think you've you've got to understand that you know the, when you're renting a track from somebody um you need to understand sort of what they're SOP is on what they're providing you. And the Ridge has honestly, I mean, I'll, I'll talk them up a little bit because yeah, they're super proactive and they ask us what we want and they have cones marked. I mean, they set the cones up. We, we um, collaborated with them on putting the cones out, the double cones out. Um, and then the car guys collaborated putting their cone system out and you show up for a motorcycle day, boom, the cones are out. You know, I think when you look at motorsports, there's an industry standard for, you know, brake markers or, or, you know, the curbs, you know, the, or the condition of the curbs or the condition of the dirt up to the track or whatever it might be. Right. And I think that there's, there's standards that you should communicate with the track that you want. I know, like I, I just did a school up in Northern California at a track 
And there was, I mean, they had cones out for apex cones, but there was not a single break cone out. I mean, there was no breaking cones out. There was no exit cones out. There was nothing. And I, I set up my own little deal. Um, but yeah, it's funny because again, if you go to Moto America, you go to world Superbike, you go to, you go to Moto GP, you go to F1, they have those references. They're there, right? Because they're needed and they're needed, you know, for safety as well as good racing. Right. So um, I guess the first part of that question is the answer is, yeah, I think tracks need to up their game. Um, we're paying a, and I, I realize things are expensive, but we're paying, trust me, a lot of money to rent tracks and have a safe environment for people to go ride. You know, we have an expectation of, of breaking cones. We have an expectation that the dirt is up to the, the side of the, of the track and there's not big gigantic drop-offs. I mean, we, we should have that expectation. And then as far as the double cone system, I mean, I have to give credit where credit is due. I mean, that's, that was all started with the Freddie Spencer, Freddie Spencer and, and Yamaha school. And it is, it is one of the, the golden things, whether it's cars or bikes, it's a golden way of looking at direction and apexes. Mm-hmm. And because apexes are literally, literally the biggest report card that we have in our sport or how we look at training. So to make sure that the cones one are in the right place and two that you're you have the right trajectory with them is 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 huge so yeah i applaud those guys for doing that because we did an experiment uh last year at one of the schools that i did and just for the heck of it we took the cones away uh at one session that did not go well (laughs) so yeah I was going to say, we, we see the nowhere near as extensive as you, of course. I'm never going to make it to MotoGP, so I've decided I want to travel the country and see a lot of these different tracks. And so we've had the opportunity to go to a lot of places. You know, it's fun to go to a new track, unload, and just experience it. And the different the different people, like you said, they're from, from the cone standpoint, I've seen the parallel a couple times, but I don't know that I've ever seen reference cones at any other track day like the they're yellow at the ridge correct well you've got like a a mix yeah the ridge has got different ones we we put two white cones at the apexes and then i know they use some yellow cones for exits as well as some of the cars use them for passing so there there's different ones that are out there but yeah to your point i mean we go to nelson ledges there's not a there's not a cone within five miles so (laughs) Um, you know, we, we do some other things at those types of tracks or you got to go hunt cones down. Yeah. It can be very difficult, um, at some of these tracks, figuring that stuff out. I will say Atlanta motorsports park, it looked built in because they had like a turn in cone, an apex cone and a turnout cone on pretty much every corner. And it wasn't a cone. It was more of a sign, I guess. Yeah. I mean, honestly, like, so I haven't been there, but like Jennings is another one. Jennings has breaking cones. They literally have an arrow, which way the corner is going. I mean, they literally have an arrow to, and those are actually placed very well. Mm-hmm. Um, and each corner has a big number on it as well. It's fantastic. I mean, mm-hmm. it's awesome. I want more information, right? Yeah, so if they're right. going to give me more information. I'm going to, I'm going to take it. Yeah. Even, you know, again, road America is another one with fantastic mid Ohio is another one. I mean, there's just so many tracks that have great information like that, but yeah, it seems more on a lot of places in the West coast were, we're not doing a good job of that. Going back, I guess, kind of just a little bit, you mentioned in names of people that you've worked with. How about some names of some riders that you have trained? I guess just to kind of 
advertised a little bit, if you will. On the pro level, I mean, there's, oh gosh. I mean, I mean, I've worked with a bunch of guys, some of them not consistently, but I've worked, I've certainly worked with them on, on different levels. I mean, Martin Cardenas won a couple of championships with Valvoline M4 back in the day that I worked with him. Actually, worked a little bit of work with Jake Lewis, or I'm sorry, Jake Gagne back in his 600 days, even a little bit of Bobier back in the 600 days. So since you bring that up, let me interrupt real quick. Because I, so I went to Moto America at the Ridge last year, 2022. Uh, and it was the first time I'd been to, actually first time I'd been to a live motorcycle race. Watching Gagne go through 10 into 11's the hairpin up at the top of the hill right before you go to 12. Anyway, you hit that like kind of right hand kink before you go into that hairpin. Watching him go through there, I saw some things that I was like, I didn't even know that was possible. <laughs> uh, and I was talking to someone and they're like, well, this is like kind of his home track. And he's actually worked with Ken Hill here a lot. So when he came back, he was like just top of the leaderboard. I appreciate that. I don't know. It's necessarily true. I mean, we did a couple of schools where Jake came up and rode and he was part of the schools, you know, a few years before that, you know, Jake and I don't do any, anything. We don't really do anything now. We did some stuff back then, you know, Jake's been over on the world, um, you know, the world where, you know, they're much more into the rider coaching and rider development side. So he gets it. Also Richard um, with attack very much understands, very much understands what the rider dynamic is like. I usually talk to him every Motor America weekend. We'll sit and bullshit for, for five minutes or something. But mm -hmm. I mean, we just, we just talk about some of these things and Richard's really in tune with, you know, the piece of, of what the rider is and you know how like Jake's a great story. I mean, Jake is, is always had some of them, the most natural ability out of almost all the writers there. I mean, there's still some, there's other writers in there that have incredible talent as well. Um, but Jake had to work on it. And that was part of his, when he came to, uh, when he came to Yamaha, um, that he had to spend some time working on it. He had to change quite a bit as a writer. So, you know, the bikes are designed to work a certain way. And if he was riding outside of that envelope and the bike's not designed to go there, then he's got to change what he's doing. Right. And that's, that's part of what Richard's very, very good at. So anyway, yeah, a little bit, a little, not much with, you know, Jake back in the day, a little bit with Cameron back in the day. Um, yeah. Let's see. Uh, Valentin DeBeast, JD, JD Beach. Uh, Valentin, I'm a big fan of Valentin. Actually, Valentin got fourth in World Supersport this weekend. So okay. I did a bunch of stuff with Valentin DeBeast, big fan of his, of him as a professional, professional racer, did a little bit of work with Gerloff on a 600, um, back, um, it's been like 18, something like that, 18, 18, something like that. Um, a lot of the M4 team, cause we were collaborating with a bunch of guys on the M4, on the M4 team. Um, we did some work with, you know, Jake Lewis and I actually worked with Matt Sculpts for some days as well. Um, then, you know, we worked a little bit with, um, Ben Smith when he's on the Northeast team. Uh, I did a lot of work with Anthony Maziato as well. Anthony's now on the, the team. And of course, working a lot with, um, you know, my current writer, CJ LaRoche and just, I'm having the best time of the world working with him. He's just, he's the, he's the model. I mean, he's the model student. He really is. He can take feedback. Uh, he takes feedback very, very well. Uh, he's great. No, I mean, he's, he's a guy that he's another one. He's very, very busy. Um, and so he, he needs a very deliberate pinpoint, uh, pinpointed evaluation, a pinpointed way of fixing it because he doesn't have very much time. And so his time is precious. And so it's, 
figuring out what he needs at that time, at that day, that hour <laughs> to, right. to improve. And he does it. I mean, the bottom line is when it came time to work on his vision, he went to a vision, a vision guy that I, that I have came time to do physical training. He went to Utah to the guy that I work with and got figured out his physical fitness program. He gets it done. And I mean, the results speak for themselves. He's a couple of years ago, he was basically not qualifying for a Moto America race. And now, I mean, we had the eighth fastest lap time in at, at Road Atlanta in Supersport. So it's it's pretty impressive. And that's again, that just goes back to consistent, deliberate training. Right. So where do you so you've been in the sport for a long time? Um, obviously there was a heyday back in the day, and then there's been a lull in the action. Do you see it on the uptrend or the downtrend currently? Yeah. I mean, the heyday was amazing. And I actually was racing superbike then. Right. I mean, I got to ride back with the Maladin and the Spieses and the Duhamels. And I mean, I, I raced, I got to race with those guys and it was, it was, I didn't, I didn't really realize what a big deal it was till you know, a decade after that. And you realize, wow, that was actually a, a pretty big, a pretty big deal. The Bostrom's the whole bit. So I think, I think, what Motor America is doing right now is exactly what we need, meaning that I think we're starting to identify as an American road racing and we're figuring out what American road racing is really about. Right. And what I mean by that is we're, we ride production bikes. We don't ride prototypes. We're not mm -hmm. set up to ride prototypes. We're not in Europe. We don't have the demographics nor the geography that Europe has. And we're embracing what our production bikes are like, and we're embracing our demographic. I think it's great. And the vibe, I mean, I've been, I think this is my seventh or eighth year in a row of Motor America. The vibe at Road Atlanta was the, the best vibe I've ever seen. Just how cool it was. The, you know, the baggers, Bobier coming back, you know, new riders and new teams. I mean, the racing, there wasn't a bad race. I mean, there just wasn't. And, you know, how Moto America is, I can bitch and complain about some of the stuff that they're doing for sure. But, but I mean, as far as like on some of the technical stuff, at least in my, my class, but as far as the other stuff, the racing is amazing. And you can't argue with, with how well that's going. So, so to answer your question is, yeah, I actually think we're in a good place right now where we're embracing the bikes. I think you wait. I think the Super Hooligans is a really cool class. I think there's going to be more stuff with the new generation bikes. So the, the Super Sport new gen, maybe it ends up being a new gen class. More As more bikes go into that mix, right. I think we're going to see some pretty cool stuff. And I think the OEMs are actually going to get involved with that because those are actually the bikes that are selling. So you think about that, right? Trust me, I love super bikes. Don't get me wrong. That's that's it. But there's not a lot of R1s being sold right now. Right. And the sport bike budgets are are pretty they're I mean they're non-existent. Are there the new Cowie 400? Are those going to be something? You bet they are. Are the Super Hooligans bikes selling? You bet they are. Are the baggers selling? You bet they are. Right? Are the twins bikes selling? Absolutely. So I think I think Moto America's done a pretty good job with figuring some of this stuff out and I do think that we're we're definitely on an upward trend in my opinion. So he, he mentioned it. So I have to bring it up that new Kawasaki ZX four R is that what it's called? Do you have one ordered yet or no, I don't. I mean, <laughs> I, I don't, I mean, I know I have some insight from those, from, you know, the people that are working on them 
and they're 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 going to be very very good very good so i mean i'm sure you've already seen some horsepower numbers for those things and what they're doing but it's unbelievable and i think i don't know i don't know somebody asked me that the other day on i don't know what other deal i was i was on the dustin coiner thing about that bike and i i don't know i think that's going to end up probably taking over maybe a junior cup position bike at some point so we'll see gotta be a fun bike Oh, yes. <laughs> There's no doubt. <laughs> There's one question. I'll stick it in here. But what uh, what's the weirdest bike you've ever seen show up to a track day or? Good question. I like it. I've seen a trike at a track day. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. I've seen like one of those Harley trikes at a track day. I've seen some pretty crazy adventure bikes at track days. Um, I've never seen a chopper. Like I've never, I mean, I've, I've ridden a chopper on track but I've never like seen one, you know, people bring one right. uh, to a track day, quite a few baggers. I mean, we see, you know, the bagger things coming around a lot of it, but yeah, I think those are kind of the weirdest, the weirdest ones that, uh, uh the trike, how, how, I don't even know what else to, to say there. Slow novice rider. It was, it was not at, it was not at a track time event. It was at a different day that I was at, but yeah, mm-hmm. slow novice rider putting around, just wanted to enjoy it. Every, you know, everybody was super great. Yeah. And yeah, it was, it was a no factor. The guy wasn't hauling ass in any way, <laughs> shape or form. Uh, but it was cool. He wanted to go ride his bike. So yeah, no, I, I, I'm not, yeah, I'm not ever going to put judgment out there. I mean, we, we preach all the time that it doesn't matter what you're on, get out and go. So absolutely. It's just kind of, you know, in my head, I'm trying to figure out like, how does that even. It, it, it worked. I don't, don't, (laughs) it, it it worked. I wouldn't say that worked great, but it worked. Fair enough. As a guy from the three wheeler world, Easton, you got to be able to slide the back around. Yeah, but you're not doing that on a 1,500 pound trike, right? Like you don't, you don't know. (laughs) Well, that's what I was asking, right? Maybe I have, I have ridden those and they are, um, they don't handle that great. (laughs) (laughs) You can definitely get them around around a corner, but you end up two wheeling them if you start hauling ass. Yeah, yeah. I think me personally, I'll just join you on the car side. There you go. Yep. There you go. Yep. What else? I, we kind of already asked you that, but uh, you know what? Besides what we're trying to do already here, what can we do to grow the sport? What can the people listening do? What can the sport do? Like, if there was five things or something. <laughs> um. I think it's, I think it's tough. And I think also just because we are seeing um, such a demographic shift in what a lot of our young generation is doing and, you know, what what they're, where they're spending their entertainment dollar and where they're spending their entertainment attention. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I mean, we're, we're definitely losing out a little bit on, on some of that. So yeah, I think, yeah, it's really tough because, the reason that I switched over to more individualism is because I don't mind classroom settings, but I don't like what I call catchphrase coaching. I like individuality, right? And I, I, I like having a group in front of me and being able to talk to people individually, figuring out what's wrong for them, what's holding them back and be able to work on things. I'm not a big fan of the, the, the catchphrase coaching. Right. And I think, you know, bringing that back to your question is, we're not going to have critical mass in, in motorcycles, right? We're not going to be able to, we're not introducing a new, you know, Apple watch and everybody buys it. It just doesn't work that way. So we have to figure out how to connect with people individually. And in my case, you know, I, I tried to bring 
a process and a methodology that a lot of people could identify with that hopes that hopes that connect with them that that it doesn't matter who they are it doesn't matter if they're you know four years old and they want to start you know riding in their parents front yard or whether they're 74 years old or 84 years old right methodologies methodology techniques or techniques and having a way of connecting with each one of those so I think it really is going to take all of us together to try to, to your point here, is trying to get people to, to get off the street, get on the track, enjoy motorcycles. And there's so many different aspects of motorcycles that are that are amazing, right? It, it could be adventure riding. It could be, you know, whatever, dual sport. It could be dirt riding, motocross. There's there's so many great aspects to it. So it's it's trying to reach people and say, hey, you you actually can do this. Because I still think that there's that barrier, that entry barrier. Like I can't ride a motorcycle. That's insane. Absolutely. So I think I think we have that. We have a little bit of that issue. I also don't think a lot of the, the base teaching to get your motorcycle license is. I think, and I understand obviously it has to be profit driven, but I think there's some balance there that can help guide people to different directions. I'm not saying if you're not doing track days, you shouldn't be riding a motorcycle. What I'm saying is. That if you go to get your motorcycle license, there's an opportunity to say there's a lot of cool things riding a motorcycle, and you know these are some of the different opportunities that you that you can you can do with that. So I don't know if that's being taken advantage of enough. I know there's some of it out there, um, but I think that there's some there's some things there. But yeah, I think overall, I think the biggest message is showing people that they can do this, showing people you know, enabling people that they can do it with a process for success and essentially safety as well. Right. Yeah. I think that's, that's a, the one thing I'll always go back to is just the safety aspect. Like you get off, off the street and onto the track and you're, it's controlled. I mean, like you said at the beginning, right. It, everything, everyone's going the same direction. You're required to wear gear. Yep. Like most you know, half the states don't even have helmet laws, which don't necessarily have an issue with that. But um, on the track, you're required to wear that gear. Uh, everyone's going the same direction. You're not out there with other cars that are, you know, there's no intersections. There's no, well, some tracks have intersections. But anyway, just the likelihood of unknown scenarios is very low. And that's what, that's what I like about it. Um, and then also to your point is that I don't think there's anywhere else where you could truly... Well, and honestly, motorcycling, I think, is the cheapest speed. Oh, no is. doubt. Bar, bar none. But I mean, absolutely. I mean, having been in the car world, I mean, there's nothing. I mean, you can go buy a Ninja 400, you know, basically you can, you know, buy a used one or whatever. And for four grand with some light, I mean, that's four grand with some track prep. Mm-hmm. You can run a very respectable lap time at a lot of tracks and just laugh your butt off and put tires on it once a year and just it's so low cost for the fun the fun factor as well as the lap time factor i mean there's just nothing even nothing even close and yeah i don't know i guess going back on that is all of us working individually with with people to to basically say yeah you can do this if you want if you really want to do this you could do this there is a way for you to way for you to do it and again i just we're not going to get you're not talking to the masses isn't going to do anything. It's just, it's, it's working basically one, one rider at a time. Well, and doing things like I wanted to take the opportunity to thank you for your podcast, the Can Hill podcast. I, I think I've listened to every one of them. Uh, 
multiple times, some of them for sure. Um, yeah, they're, they're good. I mean, actually, when you look at it, I mean, I, I don't know what is, I started them in, is it seven years? I think, I mean, back when podcasts were not a thing and I, I made it clear like they're, they're, I mean, as you guys know, cause you've listened to them, but they're very deliberate. They're made to be listened over and over again. They're not a two hour thing where, you know, we're pitching, you know, hair, hair loss stuff or something. Right. I mean, we're not doing that. It's they're designed very deliberately for you know me to get a, a message across in a very short amount of time that they can be um, listened to over and over again. And they were, again, they were deliberately designed that, that way. And I'm not doing that. I don't have sponsors. No one's paying me to do them. I mean, they're, I mean, quite honestly, they're a royal pain in the ass to do because <laughs> I'll write down, I mean, these typically start off with between 15 to 25 pages of notes. And I have to keep whittling through them, keep them in the time frame that I want to keep them in. Right. And again, you can see sort of the evolution. I mean, I have some 12 minute ones, but they've all kind of, now they're starting to get in the 20, 22 minute range because I have more to say. And there's, right. as I get, as I know more, I, there's more, again, there's just more to say, but yeah, they're not easy. They're not, they're not fun and they're not easy, but they're also good for me to have to go and distill the information that I have. And I've got to be able to explain it in a way that other people can, can do it. Again, I don't have sponsors. If people want to donate. I appreciate that. I only release them when I have something to say. If I have something that is relevant or I have a couple of ideas and some things that I want to do that I might experiment with in the next month or so. But yeah, if I don't have something that's relevant to say, then I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm going to wait till I have something good and relevant instead of just talking. Yeah. I talk enough. In all honesty, I really do appreciate them. Yeah, they're good. I mean, I, I just felt that they, there was things that needed to be said uh, back when I, when I started them. Now they've just basically turned into this massive library of honestly pretty cool stuff. I ended up listening to one. I had a vision one that I was listening to because I, I, I've got something coming out on vision soon that I've been, I've been working on. And so I wanted to go back and listen to it. And I was like, it's actually pretty good. <laughs> so um, some of them I'd like to redo for sure, but some of them are, some of them I'm pretty happy with. Well, that's a, that's about all I had. I don't know if you had anything else, Cole. No, I, I think we're good. Um, where can we find you again? Yeah. I mean, it everywhere. What's the best place? The, the, the podcast, of course, right? The podcasts are there and they're free and they're there to be listened to. And, you know, at this point, I'm going to keep doing them. Uh, and again, when I got stuff to say, I do have some stuff on YouTube, but it's nothing crazy. It's not that it's, it's just mainly some car and bike videos of me either driving or riding some fun. There's actually some, there are, there's some fun stuff in there as well. The big one that's accessible. So if you want to, I mean, if you want to pay my date rate and fly me in and do whatever, I'm in, right? Great. You want to pay that? wonderful. (laughs) Not a lot of people can do that. So what we've tried to do or what I've tried to do is make myself accessible for a very cheap amount of money. And that's on the Blaze platform, B-L-A-Y-Z, Blaze. And Blaze is an online training program where, honestly, I don't know why. I, I really don't know why there's not more people doing it. I think it's insane. Meaning it's literally a dollar a day. So I think you have to sign up for the blaze plus program, which is like 365 bucks or whatever, 20 bucks a month or whatever the hell it is. Right. I don't, I don't pay attention to that. You get two video coaching sessions with me. So you send in videos. I, I critique them. Right. So I critique them and you get your own personal 
critique from me on your video. And you also get a, you also will get a call. We do, we do a call as well, but I mean, this ends up being, I mean, you can send in a video, let's say, let's say you went, whatever you went to UMC and you rode and you're like, Oh man, I'm missing every apex. Well, you can send me a video for a hundred bucks and I, rec- I critique it telling you, giving you things to work on. And then you go work on them. And then you can send me another video. And it, again, for a hundred bucks, you're getting this information rather than, you know, right. having to pay me to, to be there to do it. It's, it's a hell of a deal. And not only that, but there's a library of, we do monthly phone calls. We actually do, I'm sorry, bi-monthly phone calls with me and this other guy, uh, Colin Mullen. And Colin is this young, young man um, who's an incredibly gifted car driver, as well as he's an amazing communicator, great coach, understands data very well. And he'll do a talk a month. I do a talk a month. And all these are in the library. There's a hundred of these videos in this library and you're getting this for whatever, 360 bucks a month. It's it's or 360 bucks a year. It's, it's stupid. Yeah. The blaze thing's amazing. Or you can come right at track time. So track time, I'm there. You can hire me as a coach. You, typically I'm sold out, but you know, send an email and we can figure that out. Or you can work with one of my coaches, work with one of my coaches there, or you can send me an email. And if you want to work one-on-one with me, um, we can always try to figure out a date for that. Awesome. Yeah. And I'll just say to anyone that doesn't know who Ken Hill is, uh, if you don't, please look him up. We're super glad that you were able to make it tonight. I think we've enjoyed, we've said several times that track time is probably one of our favorite groups to go, go ride with. It's a great atmosphere. We love it up there. We, I'm kind of a little sad that I moved across country and I don't get, get to go to the Ridge as much anymore. Well, you can fly out, rent a bike and you're good to go. (laughs) Wait, you know, I might just do that. (laughs) We'll see. We'll see. But yeah, just, uh, very happy with what you're doing and glad you were able to make it tonight. I appreciate it. No, I'm, I'm super lucky and it's, it's I'm lucky to be work. I mean, I'm, I'm lucky to have a group around me that supports me and, and helps me be me. I, I know, I know I, I definitely do things a little bit differently and it's, it can, it, there's times where my stuff can be a little bit harder, but I try to create a methodology for everybody and give everybody a way to, to improve in the sport. Great. Thanks gentlemen. Yeah. Thank you. Appreciate you coming on. All right. See you later. See ya. See ya.